not the end for young. Um, come on. Riley's not paying attention.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome. So glad to have you with us. We're excited about what Father's going to do today. This has been amazing. It has been. And um, I don't know, well, actually this morning, this is going out to Facebook and YouTube because uh, this is all, also our normal Sunday morning time. And we wanted to make sure that um, we didn't leave our Sunday morning people hanging. Yeah. So... This morning they get Paul Young, so I'm excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) And just want to let you know, if you're on YouTube and Facebook, it's not too late to join us. Um, We have two more days after today, and so you are welcome to sign up on our website, kingdomtalksmedia.com, and all the replays will be available to you as well. So as far as the conference goes today, this morning anyway, from from 10 to 12 is Paul Young with a 10-minute break in the middle, and then we have a panel where we have... Paul Young, we have Adina and I, um, Nina, Nina, and I'm missing one person. Larry. Larry, Larry McKnight. We will be on a panel together from noon until 2 o'clock, two hours. And, and the last panel we had, that time went by really fast. It did. Just a lot of information. <laughs> um, just encourage you, if you can, It's again, it's not too late if you go to our website, uh, or there's plenty of places on Facebook that you can go to and join the conference, and you'll get the recordings of those that you missed, but we encourage you to, to jump in. And then Nancy's tonight. Nancy is tonight. This afternoon. Yeah, so, so actually, yeah, this afternoon from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock Mountain Time. Yep. All right, so Mr. Paul Young is up next, and we're going to go ahead and go right to the video, and we'll talk a minute and get started. Here we go. Paul Young. The shack and crossroads will tell you much more about him than a few facts ever could, but a writer is always more intentionally elusive behind the curtain of words. For Paul as a human being, everything is about Jesus and Father and Holy Spirit, about relationships, and to live is to participate in an adventure of faith which can only be experienced inside one day's worth of grace at a time. Please welcome Paul Young. Wow, well done. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay elusive here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, we're super excited to hear what you have to share with us this morning. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you have any questions or comments before you take over, but... I, I do. Okay. I'm, I'm going to redeem a word. See, okay. words actually matter to me a lot. And, um, <clears throat> and, and I, I want to just clarify it. And it's, it's a word that you used, Gil, and, and, um, and that's the word skepticism. Ah, okay. okay. And, and I, I want to redeem that word because the technical term skepticism, the actual meaning is to suspend judgment. Interesting. Wow. Right? It's yeah. to suspend it, to suspend judgment. And if you use the word discernment, it's the ability to obtain sharp perceptions or judge well. So discernment is about judging and skepticism is about suspending judgment. I like and, that. Uh, and, and both are positive. Now, here's the deal. And here's what I think Jesus was talking to you about. You can hide valuing or judging in a wrong way behind either word. Yes. Right, right. Okay? Yeah. So you, you can hide um, a, a demeaning of someone or the value of someone behind the word skepticism, 
right? You can be, you can have a skeptical heart that actually is not about suspending judgment, but is about masking judgment, hmm. right? That's good. And discern, discernment can do the same thing. Yeah. So you can, you can have discernment, accord, you know, and it's a lot, it's a lot nicer to say, you know, I've got discernment. <laughs> I've got skepticism say, because because who's that's that's one of the things that religious people love to do is they find a word they can hide behind that nobody can argue with. Oh, that's true. Very true. Very true. And so it's like ah, oh, all right, I've got discernment. Well, who's going to argue with that? You know. And um, <laughs> very and good. So, very good. Yeah. So uh, to use an example, um, who we call doubting Thomas. Right, he was actually skeptical in the right way, hmm. and 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 why wouldn't he be? He had no direct encounter, and if you remember, the disciples were all skeptical when the women showed up and told them, yep. right, right, and they and they were skeptical because they were women, and it's like you know how could a woman be actually the first to have a witness to this, and and um, and so their skepticism had this form of judgment to it, but I. But if you look at Jesus' response to Thomas, it's very kind yes. and gentle. Yes. yes. And so, you know, in regards to the last couple of days, because you know, I'm sort of the outlier here in, in certain respects, and um, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that um, different perspective. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I'll, I'll explain <laughs> some of that. I'll, I'll explain that some a little bit more. But. But I, 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 here's what we can't do. So much proceeds, uh, especially in this community, I've noticed from encounter, which matters to me an awful lot. And uh, I like direct encounter. And that's yeah. one of the things that religion has really blocked. And it, it only allowed the encounter to be with uh, the really spiritual smart people or whatever. Right. And, right. Um, and, and, and you're well aware, and your community is well aware that encounter is is a, a daily, moment by moment mm -hmm. existence. It is yeah. reality. Yes. And and but there are elements of encounter that, for those who haven't had such an encounter, um, judgment can go both ways. Oh yeah. You, can, you know the the person with the encounter can feel superior, like oh I got something you don't. This happened with you know I come from a very conservative, non Pentecostal, non charismatic background. You know we, the Holy Spirit quit by the end of the first century, and <laughs> and uh, and so we didn't we never had to worry about her. And so it was like, uh, you know, so so when. <laughs> Uh, we were kind of you don't go to their camps you just don't go to their camps you know that's what, <laughs> when i was a, when i was a teenager like you don't go to their camps and um and you know so there was always this sense of superiority from yeah. the pentecostal charismatics and um over those of us who had not had and in our in my heritage we had the second work of grace and um so you know every religious and we've really you know, tried to prevent that, although obviously it's really challenging. But uh, I know many of the leaders are totally on board with the idea that we cannot diss the church. You know, we they they had a you know a a part in getting us to where we're at, 
and that we don't want that superiority complex. It, it happens, sure, absolutely, but it's definitely not something we promote. And yeah. you know, the other thing well, is like, don't make doctrine out of your experience yeah. either. And I'm saying it works both ways. That yeah. is, if you haven't had the encounter, be skeptical. That is, suspend judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and if you've if you've had encounter of specific kinds, um, be kind. Don't judge. Right. Because everybody yeah, is on their own journey and process. Yeah. And, and who am I to say how the Holy Spirit and how Jesus and how Papa God are going to bring healing to a person who has experienced yes. certain kinds of trauma? Yeah. And some and, of it's really strange, you know, but it's, it's real it's for very them. very strange. It, yeah. Yeah. But I, again, like you said, not to judge it. That's that person's experience. And if it's bringing healing, go for it. Yeah. And, and there is a good point. How do you know one of the ways when you suspend judgment, one of the ways you can tell the authenticity of somebody's encounter is the fruit that it produces? Yes. yes. And that's another thing that we really we look for. Where's the fruit? If it's not helping change my life or the world, then what's the point? Don't quite yeah. get it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Well, we'll look forward to hearing what you have to <laughs> share with us this morning. I'm done. We'll open for questions. <laughs> uh, I'm so, so honored to be with you. And um, let me explain a little bit about, uh, you know, being an outlier. Um, for, just to introduce myself for those folks that don't know me well. Um, and, and that is I'm a missionary kid and a preacher's kid. Um, fundamentalist you know, uh, uh, holiness movement background and um, trying to get a, the right view here. Let me p pin myself so I don't get lost in faces here. All right, cool. So um, I, uh, I, I was a year old when we moved to the highlands of New Guinea. So I grew up in a different world and um, and we came back to Canada. I was born Canadian. We came back to Canada when I was about 10 years old. And um, I, um, I really struggled to figure out how to be uh, in this world. And third culture kids have a bunch of issues like that. And we, we do struggle with um, trying to figure out who we are. And uh, my... My dad was a very, um, he was a brutal disciplinarian and he definitely loved Jesus. Jesus had, he had an encounter with Jesus when he was 18 years old. He'd been working for four years in logging camps on the West coast of British Columbia. And, and he um, had a massive encounter with Jesus and he, he'd been orphaned at 12. So he'd been working in the logging camp since he was 14, which is, not the kindest place in the world. And he, come, he came from a background where his dad was very difficult and, um, and his father before him. So by the time that I showed up, my dad didn't have a chip for being a father. He just, it just didn't, it just wasn't there. Um, some of my own great sadnesses that are kind of, kind of evidenced in the shack and things and some of the other writings that I've had include not just my relationship with my dad, um, but also the sexual abuse that happened in the tribal culture I grew up in 
which was my family really. And then um, uh, continued in boarding school when I was sent away to boarding school, which a lot of missionary kids experience and, um, and have. Uh, missionary kids tended to be the sacrificial lambs. And, um, and um, I, I just wrote the foreword for a, a book of, I think 45 different missionary kids, third culture kids that just shared their stories. And it's just a compilation. And they asked me to write the forward, which I was incredibly honored to do. Um, MKs and third culture kids in a, in a way are, they're always my people. And when I meet them on the road, we instantly connect uh, because we have common history, common issues, uh, put it that way. Um, I, um, to survive, I became a you know performance addict, uh, perfectionist, and perfectionism um, was an attempt to cover up what I really thought about myself, which some something about sexual abuse just rips the fabric of the human soul to shreds, and uh, and I I covered up, you know, I, I hid uh, because that's the shack, that's the imagery for the shack, the shack. You can read it just as a story, and it and it turned out to be an okay story. Uh, but you can also understand it as layers. Um, there are layers. Uh, one of the layers is the shack represents the heart of the human soul, mine, in in this story, and um, it is the broken heart. It is the the soul that has been damaged. It is the house on the inside that people have helped you build. And sadly, we live in a world where a lot of us, we didn't get good help building the house on the inside. And so it becomes the house of desolation or the house of shame or the house held together, the superstructure held together by lies. And, um, and it becomes a place we store our addictions and hide our secrets. And we never want to invite another human being in there because we're terrified that they're going to look at us with the same look of disgust that we see in the mirror. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled when I hear about somebody who grew up in an environment that was authentic and truth telling and framing and um, encouraging and validating um, that allowed them a capacity to explore and take risks safely and, and even in terms of being a truth teller. And, you know, for a lot of us, lying is not, is not an attempt to deceive anybody. It's a survival skill. And uh, anybody that comes from my background will identify with that. And, and you know, it's still, I, I can still get triggered, not nearly as easily because there's been a long journey toward wholeness for me, but I can still get triggered so that my first inclination is to shade my words so that I don't have to, I don't get exposed, put it that way. And, and a lot of it is in my own imagination, which is uh, a place where uh, the Trinity has absolutely worked to redeem is because uh, the imagination is part of the human experience and a very important part. A lot of us, we meet God in our imagination and, um, in fact, one of the, one of the, it was either, oops, sorry about that. That was supposed to be off. One of the, I actually don't know how to turn this one off. 
Hold on a second. I just got a new phone last night and uh, first one since, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to turn something off. And I thought I had all my sound off. Pardon me. Well, if it goes off again, it goes off again. I have no idea how to get the sound off of this thing. Um, welcome to my world. So, um, so catching up my train of thought here. Oh, uh, shading the truth and getting triggered and all that. And, um, oh, and so it was either Joan of Arc or Teresa of Avila that when they were being martyred, it was burned at the stake. One of the accusations was, you hear God in your imagination. Like that was an accusation. And the response was, where else do you think I'm supposed to hear God? You know, God lives in me. So guess what? I hear God in my imagination. I hear God in my mind. I hear God in my, the working of my logic. I hear God in my, my memory. I hear God in my emotions because God lives in me. And when you think about it, that kind of makes sense. And this is why, you know, God speaks to us in our own language. Um, it's a beautiful thing that God, that God speaks to us in, like he speaks to me in Paul, you know? So, uh, and, you, and you see that in the way that I write. I write very conversationally and it's my language, you know? And uh, oh, there's all, all kinds of other nuances to it. Touch is a, definitely a part I see God in touch and hugs. Hugs are, hugs have been redeemed for me because touch was such a violation and it uh, takes uh, some of us a long time for touch to be redeemed, but uh, it will be if it hasn't been. And, um, and uh, it's just that it was so dangerous for so long. Huh. Um, so uh, a performance, you know, I performed well. Turns out, and I didn't actually know that I was smart until I was in my mid-20s. Um, I just thought I fooled people. And I didn't know I was actually creative. I thought I was just faking it. Uh, I graduated my undergraduate degree in, in religion and theology. I walked out of, my gradu uh, out of my graduation. I was first in my class and I graduated Phi Beta Kappa Summa Cum Laude, which is kind of a big deal. And... Um, but I walked out thinking I fooled them. Yep, I fooled them. Why? why? Why was that such an underlying thing? Well, it's because all my experiences had communicated to me the truth of my being. What, what is the truth of your being, Paul? Well, when my, when my dad would be furious, and a lot of times I didn't know why, and he would come after me. And I was four, five, six, seven, eight, you know. Um, I tried to stop him two different ways. One was to lie, about, trying to figure out what he was mad about and to, and to lie to get myself out of it. Survival skill, told you. And, um, and the other way was to yell three words at him over and over and over at the top of my lungs. I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. Years later, when I, I felt I was under the retributive, punitive wrath of God, 
And every time I failed, that's what I'd say to God. I'll be good. Just give me another chance, you know. Let me take another run at this. And it was kind of like, okay, well, we'll put you back to zero today. And, um, and take another run at it. And sometimes I'd make it a couple days. And then I'd be back. I'll, I'll be good. But with my dad, it was, I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. And each time I said, I'll be good, I was, um, I was reiterating what I believed to be the truth of who I was. And that was that I'm bad. I know I'm bad. I know I'm a disappointment. I know I'm a failure. You know, so parents have incredible power to communicate the truth of who God is through the way that they relate to their children. And, um, and so I, I grew up with an angry father and I grew up with an angry God, the father. Um, and, you know, sexual abuse will communicate the same thing. The truth of your being is that, you know, your own, your value is in trading your body to someone for some sense of acceptance, even though you don't believe it. You know, you know this trap, right? Secrets, secrets are such a trap. My gosh, we're totally, we're totally trapped by secrets. And um, because you can't tell them. You can't tell your secrets because you're terrified that people would just walk away. And, and you're always on edge. You're hypervigilant because you're waiting for your secrets to be exposed. Like, you know, liars, liars have to have good memories. Truth tellers don't, right? If you're a liar, you have to kind of remember what you told to whom and, how, and how, what nuance it was because you tend to be a different person in front of every different person every different situation you're you're trying to pick up what the expectations are and what you need to be and then you act according to that and um and so uh you know liars have to have good memories and 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 so i was constantly a different person so you know the shack is the house on the inside that's where i stored up all my addictions and all my secrets and secrets here's the trap here's the trap of secrets I can't tell you my inside world. I can't tell you the truth about what's going on in my inside world because I'm terrified. One, you'll, you'll, you'll tell me too what a piece of crap I am, right? I already know, but I really don't want you to know. So I'm, I'm gonna fool you as long as I can. And if things start falling apart, I'm a religious kid, so I'm not going to run away from relationships. I'm just going to hear God call me somewhere else, right? <laughs> yeah, you got to try to justify your damage. And um, so it, I can't tell you this, my secrets, but, but if you get, and so I live my life looking for scraps is what I'm doing. I'm trying to find the scraps off the tables of, of people who seem to be healthy, you know, or who are powerful or who are, in my estimation, good or whatever. And those secrets I, uh, that I'm not telling you, they show up in a different way. So I'm, I'm trying to win your approval and affection, even if, even just pieces of it, even if I can get an attaboy once in a while, even if I can, so I work really hard, right? I get straight A's, I, I'm a perfectionist, 
because I got to try to find some value and worth and significance from, from somebody. But here's the trap. When you give me those little pieces of light that I am desperately needing, I actually don't believe you because you don't know my secrets. I have fooled you into giving me those little bits of light and scraps of goodness. And so I'm always at a loss. I'm always alone. I'm the only one who has my back. I'm a disappointment. And if people knew the truth, I'd be a disappointment. I know I'm a disappointment to God, right? This is, this is the world and how Paul Young was crafted. And I kept, I kept that facade going. I didn't want anybody in the shack, so I built the facade 100 yards out. And um, I painted it as fast as I could pick up people's expectations. And I performed. And I begged God daily, would you please fix me? Why can't you just fix me? Because I hid my addictions in the shack, you know? By the time I was 12, I was horribly owned by an addiction to pornography, like totally owned by it. Nobody knew. I couldn't, I couldn't even tell, you know, anybody, not the guys in my world, that the shame was too deep. Nobody knew my history. Nobody knew about the sexual abuse stuff. Nobody knew. You know, and I did the, well, you know, that was in the past. All things have passed away. All things have become new, right? So that's because you don't want to deal with it. Here's the crazy thing. You, in that state, you read a verse like, um, there will come a time when everything that you have done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. And you're going like, that's a promise of humiliation. I mean, that, it's terrifying. And um, the truth of it is it's a promise of redemption because the unexposed is the unhealed. We are as sick as the secrets we keep. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to expose you, not to humiliate you, but to open up a pathway for healing and restoration. And, and the word convict in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of brokenness, sin, and we'll talk about the word sin in a while, but come to convict the world of brokenness. That word in the Greek is the word to expose. Why would God do that? Because the unexposed is the unhealed. Because God cannot climb in and just fix you. You're, in, you're in too incredibly crafted. Human beings have no idea what an incredible creation they are. Even, even with all of our encounters, even Paul going to the third heaven, which he then couldn't even talk about. But we don't have, we catch glimpses here and there uh, of the incredible nature of what it means to be human. But we're also uniquely damaged in our uniqueness. And 
and there are no quick fixes. There's no formula, there's no magic. We, we would like magic. Part of us would like magic, you know, just fix me. But when you think about it, you don't want magic, you want a relationship, you want to be authentic from the inside out, you want to be whole, you want to be whole. The word whole comes from the same root as the word holy. Whole means uh, two sides of an equation equal the same thing. You have integrity, that is, you're integrated, that is, a equals B. So if you see B, you know what A is, because A equals B. Both sides of the equation equal the same thing. And so wholeness, holiness, those are relational terms. They're not ideas. They're actually relational terms. God was holy before there was any sin, before there was any brokenness. So Holy's got nothing to do fundamentally with sin at all. The, the word has the sense of one of a kind or unique, you know, and the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is holy, holy, holy. It's, it's this one of a kind, unique dance of interrelated uh, community, right? Where, where it is complete oneness, and yet there are three persons. It is mutual interpenetration of one with the other without the loss of personhood. God will never work in your life in a way that denies your personhood. And if you want to hold on to your survival skills, God will stay with you while you do. And he won't rip them out of your hands even for your own good. Because God is patient. All right, so let me talk to you about something. Uh, there is, um, I want to talk to you about something I've been working on for the last six months. And it comes from, I'm going to share my screen, and it, and, uh, it comes from something that Baxter Kruger said a number of years ago, and I've been camped on it ever since. And uh, so I'm going to start with this and I'm going to, I'm going to open up the chat screen if I can. I don't know if I can from here. Let me just, I'm going to stop sharing for a second to see if my chat, my chat screen is open here. I don't know if I can pin this. Let me pop it out. Ah, now let me share a screen and see if I can see if I've got that chat screen popped out because I want some interaction here on the chat. Nah, it disappeared on me. You're seeing all my, all my other stuff. Ooh, high re we might talk about high resil resiliency individuals later. So Paul, we can read yeah. the chat to you if you'd like as it comes. Okay, up. good. Okay. That would be great. So, right. so let's do that. All right, so right now you are seeing my screen, correct? I haven't shared it again. Let me share it now. All right, let's go to here. Let me minimize this so that I'm not looking at myself here. All right, here is a, here is a, a big statement. 
and we're going to go through it a little bit a little bit in pieces and then we're going to explore it and this is what we're going to do for two hours is basically explore this and um and again it's something i've been working on very specifically for the last six months and it's and it's 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 been really great so the basic statement that baxter made was wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being that was baxter's statement and so let's let's just break this down wholeness remember wholeness is related to holiness wholeness is when and we're all we all desire wholeness right is it, wholeness is when there is no uh, disintegration between your outside world and your inside world your outside world which is the way of your being how you act the choices you make how you're thinking about things the way of your being is your existential experience and these are the only two big words i think they're the only two big words i'm going to really teach you and that existential experience is ethics or or the way of your being is ethics or it is the manner in which you then live your life so wholeness is when the way of your being is an authentic expression of your ontology okay ontology ontology is the truth of your being the truth of your being ontos is the greek word and and um i'm going to do this i'm going to flip to share a screen and i'm going to go to the whiteboard and i'm going to text so here we go so ontos right ontos is the greek word for being being ontos um logos as you know is the greek word for word or could be a study of right and we get a lot of our english words from greek and latin ontos so this is the study of being ontology ontology um, is the the word about your being the truth of your being um, you know theology is from theos which is god and um, so theology is about uh the study or the words about the truth about god and um, so you can see how that how that works uh, let me okay so wholeness is when the way of your being is an authentic expression of the truth of your being so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to explore this about god okay so the the first thing that i want to do is to go back to my whiteboard here and i'm going to put up a different uh, well, I'm going to make a big, huge screen here so that I don't even know how this thing works. All right. So what I'm going to do is you can tell that I'm such an expert in PowerPoint and all these things. I don't know what this is doing. Anyway, uh, let me just see if I can get this thing off of my screen. Or I'll just go, I'll just go down here and start a new one. right you know what i'm going to do i'm going to even cheat it a little bit more i'm going to forget that and i'm going to go back to a word document which i know how to do and i'm going to file and create a new document and now i'm going to 
make it big so you can see, and I'm gonna center it, and I'm gonna say the on ontology of Trinity. Okay. So, so Paul, we're, we're going to talk seeing that yeah. on, on the screen for some reason. I don't know if that went, went to a different, different page. Not sure. Ah, okay. Well, let me stop share and let me go share again and let me see where it went. How about that? Can you there see that? There we go. There it is. Okay. 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 Huh. It did a thing where when I went to a different Word doc, it just took me out of that screen share. Well, interesting. So the ontology of Trinity or the ontology of God. When we're talking about ontology, we're talking about the truth of God's being here. What is the truth of God's being? All right, here's, the, here's where I want your chat help. So I want words that describe the truth of God's being. When we think about who God is, what are the words that we think about in terms of God? So put it, put it in the chat. All right, here they come. Uh, good, oneness, Father, he's love, community. Okay, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> so, they're, they're flying so, by as fast as we can. <laughs> that's good. That, and that, that's good. And I'm going to ask you to just read them out in a little bit. But let's start with this one. Everybody okay with? Love. This is, this is the declaration that God is. Not God has or God is sometimes. This is the declaration in First John that God is love. No ifs, ands, or buts. buts. It's not love, but, you know, or love if. Um, this is just God is love, period, period. And, and the next question is, so uh, what kind of love is this? Or what, what, you know, because it's, I don't think it's romantic kind of love, although that element can be part of it because there's lots of pictures of romance in terms of, of love. But at, at its core, what is love? And, and this word, as you know, in the Greek is agape, right? And um, so how, what is the definition of this love? How do we understand this love? Well, here is the classic definition of agape. It is self, Oops. Giving. Let me just. Giving. Other. Centered. Self. Sacrificial. Okay. It is self giving, other centered, self sacrificial. That is love. How do we know that? We know that because of Jesus. We know that by looking at the life of Jesus, we know that because of the relationship of Jesus to the Father and the Spirit. Otherwise, we're just dealing with an idea. It is actually, this love is incarnated. And in Jesus, you see self-giving, other-centered, self-sacrificial. Now notice what it's not. It's not selfless. Agape is not selfless love. Uh, if there is no self, uh, love can't exist. Um, th this is one of the reasons why the Trinity actually matters, because if God was ever alone, God cannot by nature love and cannot be love. 
Um, this is why in some major religions where they actually uh, believe that God was alone, they don't, they don't allow the idea that God is love. God can be merciful, but not love. Love requires an other. And if, uh, and in these other religious frame of references, the only other would be creation. But God existed prior to creation. Uh, if you're going to use term, I mean, time language, which is a little rough, but, but there was, there was God before and outside and still is outside of time, Kronos. And, um, and so if creation is, is the other for God to be love, then God would need creation in order to be love. And that would be absolute blasphemy because whatever God needs would be greater than God. Therefore, creation would be greater than God. So if God was alone, at least that is coherent. That's a coherent understanding. If God was ever alone, God cannot be by nature love. God can act mercifully. God can act this way or that way or that, you know, but not love. But, but we have a revelation that God has never been alone, ever. God has never been alone. In fact, any concept of aloneness is antithetical to the nature and character of God. So God is love. It's self-giving. This is a God who gives themselves, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, for, for God so loved the world, and we translate that in our minds as, wow, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says, for God, this is how God loved the world that he gave his son. It's for uh, God, God so. In this manner, God loved the world that he gave his only son. Of course, God loves the creation because God is love. But that's not what that verse means. It's telling us that this is a self-giving love. Right? John 3.16. And... Self-giving, it's other-centered, self-sacrificial. This is the kind of love. It's not, it's not eros. Um, eros is a word that sometimes um, people have written about eros as romantic love or sexual love. In, in the world in which script, the New Testament was written, eros was a demonic god. And, and eros is more akin in our world to infatuation, right? Infatuation, than it is to, to love. Infatuation, is the, the demonic god of eros, the goal of that god was to actually take you out of yourself, um, to elevate you uh, so out of yourself that experience becomes everything. And so it didn't matter um, the object, because this was about self-centeredness. Infatuation is about self-centeredness, right? Um, uh, and it's an infatuation is actually based on not knowing. Not knowing. You ha you have an imagination of someone that you have projected on them, right? On and you're in love, right? You're infatuated, and and I don't know about you, but but the Achilles heel of infatuation is actually getting to know the person that you're projecting the imagination on, right? 
you see that girl, but you start to get to know her, and it's like, uh, you, you don't live up to my imagination, you know? And, and this is why Eros is, is based on not knowing. Agape is always based on knowing. This is eternal life that you know him and the one whom he sent. Knowing is at the center of agape. Not knowing is at the center of Eros. And, and you can easily discard an imagination or somebody can not live up to your expectations when you, it's all about you. It's self-centered. It's, it's taking from others. And the last thing you're going to do is be self-sacrificial unless you can get something out of it. So Eros is always based on, on you, but this is not God. God is love, period. That is the clearest distinction of the ontology of God that God is love. Now, all other words will be adjectives of love. So, goodness, or good. God is good. Yeah? God is love. This is a good love. This is, okay, tell me some of the other words. All right. This love, kind. Is, this love is kind. Yeah. Unconditional. Pure. Hold on, hold on. Unconditional. Yeah, I can buy that. Conditional. Condition. Pardon my spelling. Pure, you said? Pure. Yes. What do you think that means, Adina? What do you think pure means? Without defilement. Yeah, without defilement. Yeah. Without defilement, um, without um, what other words like like transparent, right? Unhidden. Yes. Unchangeable. Unchangeable. Light. God is light, right? God is jealous, right? Mm-hmm. Do you understand the difference between jealousy and envy? Envy mm -hmm. is when um, envy is about something that uh, doesn't belong to me that I want to belong to me, right? Envy is about something that doesn't belong to me. Jealousy is about something that does belong to me. So God is a jealous God because, like, we belong to God. We're His children, and so God God's never envious, but God is jealous. But it's jealous love, right? It's it's transparent love. It's pure love. Uh, faithful. Faithful. Yep. Freedom. Okay. This this love is free. Let me let me just do this. This love is free. Freedom is um, is a relational term as you relate to this kind of love, right? As uh, as opposed to bondage or something. Um, but this love is free, freely given, but it's free. It's free. That is, it's not under the jurisdiction of the law of any sort. Right. Uh, committed. Committed. Powerful. 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 Fire. Fire. It's a consuming fire. It's not just a fire. Like it's a consuming <laughs> fire. That's really that's really important because a lot of us grew up with this, you know, that there that God was a consuming fire. That's because He was so angry at us. Yeah. And, um, but the intention of this consuming fire is to burn away everything that is in us that is not of love's kind. That's George MacDonald. 
community. Okay. Uh, father. Forever. Everywhere present. All knowing. This one. Yes. This is a judging love. Okay, let's stop there. I mean, we could fill pages of this, and and but these are these are all adjectives of love. You can't um, you can't have a word that is contrary to love. Okay, so uh, let's do this. Words not here. <laughs> what what are some words that are not here? Oh, I, I do want to put this one up here. Ang angry. This is an angry love. Yeah. Because God is angry. Okay. Well, we can talk about that in a minute. But what are words that are not here? Paul, we have about a minute. Before the yeah. break. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. I see uh, that. Envy. Okay. Envy is not here. Uh, controlling. Controlling. Yeah, good word. Mean. Mean, yep. Unkind. How about, how about violent? Mm. Yes. Mm. Kind. Lonely. Lonely. Desperate. Vengeful. Um, vengeful. Powerless. Powerless. Alone. Darkness. Suspicious, confusing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so we've got we've got a picture of God here, the truth of who God is. So, that's a pretty good place to start. We're going to take our ten minute break, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, that'd so, be great. And then we'll come back, and then we'll start making we'll make some sense out of where we're going with all this. All right. Awesome. Love so this. We, yeah, we've had a good time listening. So we'll take a break, um, play a short video, and then right into Marianne, who's going to release something new. Sweet.
Of your 
Ecclesia is family doing kingdom business. When you join an Ecclesia with Kingdom Talks Media that is going through the Ultimate Impact series, this is what a typical week might look like. During the week, you'll watch the Ultimate Impact teaching videos based on that week's topic. Welcome back. We're looking this week at different places in heaven. Each video is about 10 minutes long, followed by a time for you to shift focus into the heavenly realm allowing Father to guide you into further revelation. Once a week, you'll gather with your Ecclesia group in person or most likely through Zoom conferencing to typically do two things. One, relate with each other as you share insights about that week's topic. As your white thing. We got live busted today, so it's been amazing. Well, I want to say something, something personal. And so in one sense, God is everything, but because he poured himself out, it's like he's not complete unless all of it comes back and decides to worship him back. So there's still a lot of unanswered questions, but I think for me, it comes back to uh, its relationship. And two, shift focus into the heavenly realm as an ecclesia to practice engaging Father together. You wanna lead us in? Are you ready to do that? I felt I saw a wooden pathway being laid in the woods. The intention felt like this is a sacred place where we will come together. Anybody else sensing anything that needs to be brought out? And seeing all the other paths coming through the woods reminds me that there are so many other people making the same journey. The path ultimately leads to home. Week after week, you and your ecclesia will gain new perspectives through the teachings, discussions, 
and your experiences individually and together in the heavenly realms. All right, Marianne, that was awesome. awesome. <laughs> so appreciate you. <laughs> and, and so right on for what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Perfect. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. We had a little camera glitch right there at the end, so we switched to a video really quick. But uh, thank you so, so much. Really beautiful. All, All right. right. Well, Paul, Paul we're, we're back. You're back. <laughs> yep. Let's and Larry's with us, which I'm glad about. Yes. Awesome. So, awesome. All right. All right. Let's go for it. All right. We got a lot of ground to cover this hour, this 50 minutes. So hold on. Remember, we started with wholeness is when the way of your being is an authentic expression of the truth of your being. And we just talked about what is the truth of God's being. Oh, and Larry, remind me, I got a story for you when we do our panel. Uh, just I just want to put a placeholder there um, having to do with what you shared with us uh, yesterday which was fantastic. Um, so um, so th the truth of God's being is that God is love, that God, and, you know, the, the limitation of God's activity is the very character of God, right? God cannot, God cannot and will not lie because God is truth. And, and this is always love that is truth. And um, so... If God is a whole being, holy, then the way of God's being has to match the truth of God's being. And this is where a bunch of issues come up as far as, well, would it, it seems that God is violent in the, in, in the Hebrew scriptures, yeah? It seems like there are all these stories where God tells people to kill people, and, and yet you have a verse like, you know, Samuel 14, 14, where it says, God does not take away life, but always works to find ways so that the banished one will not, will be, the banished one will be restored. God does not take away life. And that's in the same book, Samuel, where Samuel's told, quote unquote, told by God to go kill everybody. Here's part of the issue. You know, we, we turned a book into a literal uh, piece of work. We, we literalized scripture, something that the Jewish community didn't even do. But, um, and we came up with this doctrine of inerrancy and infallibility that is only, that's what, 150 years old and, um, or less than that. And, but we then literalized everything. So we don't hear the story anymore. And let me tell you, story has a lot more power than a lot of literal renderings for things. So I'm going to stop sharing this for a second um, so that I can kind of see. So, so when you're reading scripture, when you're reading through some of these things, uh, you know, my friend Brad Jerzak has a, has a mentor named Bishop uh, Lazar. And, and, uh, and Brad asked him about one of the passages, you know, about the killing and all of this kind of stuff. He said, well, it says, it says that God told him that, told them to kill everybody, babies and everything. And Lazar smiles and he says, it's reported that God said that, right? It is reported that way. And you have to remember that scripture is not just an unfolding 
revelation of the character and nature of God in the lives of human beings, but it is also the exposure of the darkness that's in human beings in terms of how they view the character and nature of God. So there's lots of things that it says that God did or commanded that are contrary to God's nature. God doesn't use death to accomplish life. God is life. God is love, right? But, but we do all these mental gymnastics trying to figure out how love can then turn around and, and as an act of love, kill people or send people to eternal conscious torment. You know, when I, when I wrote The Shack, part of the struggle was in the cave scene was I put Mackenzie into the crucible of having to choose which of his kids to send to hell, hell as we have, like my people have traditionally talked about it, and, um, and, and, and he couldn't do it. And it was almost as if his love for his children was wrong. Because if God can send someone to hell, then that must be a kind of love that is greater than my love that says, there's no way I'm going to send my child to eternal conscious torment. Take me, right? Which is the gospel. And uh, take, take me instead. I'll, I'll go. You know, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is like, you need a sacrifice? God the Father doesn't need a sacrifice. God's not under the law. But uh, you, if you need a sacrifice, we're going we're gonna to destroy sacrifice. We're going to end it. And the only way that you're going to end it is to finally sacrifice an absolutely innocent sacrifice that will meet your bloodthirsty requirements. And so I'll, I'll be that. I'll be the lamb. And so you've got this cataclysmic understanding that no, God is not vindictive, not vengeful, but then how come God is a judge? Well, you know, let's talk about that for a second. We inherited a very, um, our Western theology, we inherited a, a view of God as judge um, from a, what's called forensic theology, which means legal um, uh, uh, a courtroom. And, you know, we got it from a bunch of lawyers. You know, Augustine was a lawyer. Luther was a lawyer. Calvin was a lawyer. It's not that they didn't write some great stuff because they did, you know. And, um, but just because you've written some great stuff doesn't mean you've also not written some terrible stuff. One, there's, I'll tell you, one of the worst sermons in history is Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Just George MacDonald, who is C.S. Lewis's mentor, says regarding that uh, sermon, from which I turn with utter loathing, right? Um, but uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote Charity, which is one of the most beautiful descriptions that absolutely contradicts Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he actually wrote Charity before he wrote Sinners. So who knows what happened? He was having a really bad day or something. But, um, but we inherited a forensic, a legal courtroom model of God as a judge. So in the courtroom, that's the picture, right? God the Father is the judge. Now, a court automatically assumes that the law is the, is the reason that that court even exists. So already from the beginning, we've got law that God the Father ha is submitted to. So the real God behind the judge is the law that requires that you die. And in my Western tradition requires that if, if you're found guilty, 
then you get eternal conscious torment. And uh, so we've got a, a, a legal model. God is the judge. It's like, I'm going in there and I already know I'm guilty. You know, that's the role of the judge, right? The judge is to determine whether you're guilty or innocent and then to pass a sentence on you if you're guilty. Free you if you're innocent, but pass a sentence on you if you're guilty. So, so, so I'm, do I want to face this judge? Hell no. I don't want to face this judge. Are you kidding? This judge is going to determine that I'm guilty and then I'm going to spend eternity in eternal conscious torment. Now, just, just so you understand eternal conscious torment, when we have that visualization, we're talking about one person, whether you know they're a baby or whether they're a child or whether you made up the age of accountability thing so that at least they got till 12 years old to make a decision, but at 12 years old in a day, sorry, you're out of luck. And but but that one person is going to spend eternity. That is like never ending, what, in eternal conscious torment, the fires of hell and all that kind of stuff. That one person will experience more pain and suffering than the, than the combined suffering of the entire human race so far. Why? Because they're going to experience this ongoing eternal conscious torment forever. We haven't had it forever yet. You know, we're like, what, 6 billion years old or, or whatever. Earth is now 200, 250 million years. Who knows? But, but again, uh, ours is very limited. But if you've got eternal conscious torment, right? And uh, while we're on the subject, I only know two people on the planet who actually, I mean, who truly believe with their heart and soul in eternal conscious torment. And there were two moms who both killed their children before they reached the age of accountability. And that was their defense. I mean, they said, they said, one woman in particular, the one in Florida who killed three of her children, um, she said, you know what? I did this as an act of love because I, I would rather spend eternity in eternal conscious torment and save my kids. So it was an act of mercy on her part to kill her children because she actually believes in hell the way we talk about it. You know, my people talk about it. How ludicrous. But in this courtroom scene, that's supposed to be the judgment, yeah? Eternal conscious torment. So where's the hope? Well, there's, there's this defense attorney named Jesus, right? Now, Jesus, he'll defend you to the Father, to the law, actually, because the Father's under the law. The Father might love you, but he can't do anything. His hands are tied by the law. And so the law is actually the God. And, um, and, but Jesus, he can, he can come in and he can, he can take your place. Oh, there's a, there's a catch. There's a catch. Uh, I'm telling you the way that my people teach this, right? The, the catch is you need to pay the defense attorney. Because if you don't pay him, I'm sorry, you're out of luck, right? But how do you pay him? You pray the sinner's prayer, which has only been the last couple hundred years since the revivalists, you know. But, but I mean, you never find the sinner's prayer in scripture. Jesus never told anybody about the sinner's prayer. But, but we got it now. So that's, what you, that's how you pay Jesus. If we can get somebody to say the sinner's prayer, they pay Jesus. Jesus will take their place and, and save them from eternal conscious torment. Right? That's the mentality that we have. Now, there's a problem. I mean, there's a lots of problems with this whole scenario. One of the problems is that Jesus doesn't pay the price. 
right? If the price of judgment is eternal conscious torment, how come Jesus isn't in eternal conscious torment? I mean, if that's the price, if that's the penalty, he didn't go to eternal conscious torment. And, and so something's wrong. Well, the whole thing's wrong. The whole judge in a courtroom scene is wrong. The early church believed that God was a judge, but, but they had a name for the judge. The judge is called the great physician. It, was a, it wasn't a courtroom model. It was a hospital doctor model. And it was like, yeah, God's a judge. He's the great physician. He's a doctor. So do you want to go see the judge? Well, yeah, because I'm sick. I'm broken. I'm, something's not working in my body. So, well, let's go see the judge. So the doctor, you go to the doctor and the doctor goes, hmm, yep, you're sick, right? We've run the tests, you're sick. And then he pronounces judgment, the sentencing, which is, well, here's a prescription, you're going to have to take this, or here's an operation we're going to have to do, or, man, this is going to require chemotherapy, or we're going to, we're going to open up your body and take out something that's killing you, whatever it is, right? What's the whole point of the doctor as a judge? Why would you go? Because you want to be whole. You want to be restored. You want to be healed, right? That's why you go see the judge. George MacDonald writes, and he says this, if you trust the goodness of God, remember the ontology of God, he's good. If you trust the goodness of God, you will run to this God with your arms wide open and you will say, please come, judge me to the core and burn out of me everything that keeps me from being fully human and fully alive. God is a consuming fire, but it's like the burning bush. That fire doesn't destroy anything that's alive, anything that is of love's kind. It is set to destroy anything that is not of love's kind. And that means sometimes things that we think are, are treasures, you know. And so here, here comes the consuming fire who's not against me, is for me, but is intent to destroy that which is not of love's kind. That's God who's a judge. And we could go and explore all these different parts of the ontology, the truth of God's being. So let's go, um, let's go back to this for a second. All right. Wholeness is when the way of your being is an authentic expression of the truth of your being. So we're saying God is holy. And we're saying you can count on God's way of being that the when you look at Jesus you are seeing the way what does Jesus say I am the way right in the Greek it's even it's even more special it's I am the way not it's not just I am the way the truth and the life there's actually in the Greek uh, what's called a kai 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 is the word and but when you have two of them in a phrase it usually means both and so I am the way, both the truth of the way and the life of the way. I am the way. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you see the way, but you see the truth of the way and the life of the way. So he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? And the ontology of God is in Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see God the Father. You see the Holy Spirit. They're not... a uh, their, their ontology is oneness. 
And so all the things we listed are the identity of God. That is the identity of God. God is love. God will never act in a way that is not loving. So, I mean, that's great. But this is also true about us. Wholeness for a human being is when the way, how we live our life, is an authentic expression of the truth, our ontology or identity, the truth of our being. Okay, there's the question, the big question, right? The big question is, what's the truth of our being? What is the truth of our being? Now, I already told you that when I was growing up, and the truth of our the truth of my being was that I was a piece of crap, piece of shit. And and not only and shit's not a swear word, by the way. It's a profanity at, at worst. It's uh, I'll tell you what a, it's not a curse word by any means. Um, and um, uh, it's, a, it's a good word, actually. But I'll, let me give you a curse word. I'll tell you a curse word. I wish you'd never been born. Now there is a curse word. Or why couldn't you have been a boy? Or you're such a disappointment. No, those are all curse words, right? They're meant to dismantle the integrity of a human being. And, um, and, and so it's like, okay, a lot of us grew up where we were cursed. You know, and it wasn't that we that even the people who cursed us knew that that's what they were doing. But when they said, I'm sorry, you don't belong to to our group. You know, you're you're not worthy. You are, you know, you're you're broken. You're shameful. You're all the kinds of curse words that we get. You're ugly. How about that? That's a curse word. You're fat. You're you're too skinny. You're, you're, you're too short. I mean, when we don't know who we are, where are we gonna get our sense of ontology? Where are we gonna get the truth of our being? We're gonna get it from our parents or the lack of them, abandonment. You know, orphans have a huge gap in terms of their ontology. They, they're trying to figure out what their identity is and they don't have the moorings of even a family history to attach it to. So where do we get our sense of identity? We get it from our environment, from the people in our lives, from what we're told, and we begin to believe it. And worse is when you are a Christian and you get it from your theology. Um, I have what I call P, uh, P-O-S-T, post, piece of shit theology, right? Um, uh, let me quote Martin Luther from, you know, the old Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. But he, he said, you know, human beings are snow-covered dung. Dung, you know, shit. It's piece of shit theology. That, that the truth of your being is that you're totally depraved. The truth of your being is that you have a sin nature. The truth of your being is that you are utterly worthless. But God in his mercy, because God is merciful and God loves, he can even love a piece of shit like me. And then God comes and says, look, you really need to clean up your act. You know, you kind of stink. And, um, and I left, that's what I hear God saying to me through what the people in the church told me, that I need, 
I need to change the way of my being. Now, here's the problem. Here is really a problem. So let me share a screen. Let me go back to sharing that page, right? If I think that the truth of my being, my identity, is that I'm totally depraved and worthless, guess what the way of my being will be? If I think I'm a piece of shit, guess what? I'm going to act like a piece of shit and I'm going to let people treat me like one. Does that make sense to you? As a person thinks in their heart about their ontology, so they are in the way of their being. It doesn't mean that it's the truth, but the way you think about yourself will become the way that you live. What's the alternative? The alternative is that you hide what you think about yourself. And so you act and you do all the right things. You know, you, you, you act like a, a righteous person, but at the same time that you're giving it, and, and we do it because we want, to, we want to be acceptable to God and we want to be acceptable to the community of people and we want, we want to be loved and we want to be accepted, right? And so we cover up what we think is the truth of who we are. So at the core of our being, we think we're worthless and totally depraved. We even have theology to back it up. And, and we can find scriptures that will tell us that. And so, but we're trying to find a way of being that is righteous. And, and it can work. So what do, what do we use to try to get that to work? Self-discipline, which is also, it's not a fruit of the spirit. God is not self-disciplined. God is self-controlled. That comes from the inside out. Self-discipline comes from the outside in. But when you think you're a piece of crap, you got nothing on the inside to live out from. So you got to grab scripture or memorization or fasting or prayer or formulas or magic or, or uh, ministry or service or mission work or anointing or destiny or something to cover up the fact that you underlie your, the truth of your being that you're trying to cover up is that you're just worthless. Right. And so when we fail, when the way of our being and it becomes obvious that we're broken people, we go back to, yeah, see, it's true. Yep, it's true. I'm just a piece of shit. Now, just because you're not a piece of shit doesn't mean you're not full of shit. I'm just saying, right? Because when, when we don't know who we are, guess what? We will act in ways that are not true. And even when we say I'm a really self-disciplined person and I'm like, boy, I got this. I can do this. I can memorize, you know, the whole New Testament or whatever. And I'm self-disciplined. Even when we're performing, even when, when I'm the pastor, even when I'm the missionary, and we're performing, we're trying to do the right things, and yet all of these underlying brokenness keeps, keeps slipping through, the poison that's deep in our shacks keep, keep coming out. Even when that happens, even but we're performing, we think we're being a fake, and we're just waiting for when the shoe drops and we get exposed. And we're terrified. 
You remember that passage where, um, where Jesus says, uh, many will say to me on that day, and then he describes what sounds like, frankly, a charismatic or Pentecostal church, right? Many will say to me on that day, we cast out demons in your name. We heal people in your name. We preach the gospel in your name. And I will say to them, depart from me into everlasting destruction. I never knew you. Remember, love is based on knowing, yeah? And what is that passage about? What is it saying in that text? Because it's pretty strong. It's saying that there are a whole bunch of religious people who have created an identity around their performance. And they've never had a, they've never had a truthful relationship or conversation. Love is about knowing. And Jesus is, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I don't build a relationship with someone who doesn't exist. You've created a caricature of what you think I want through performance. And I don't even know you. You've never told me who you are. You've never said to me, you know what? You've disappointed me. You've never been honest like that. You've never said, I don't know if you're big enough, God, for this. You've never said, I feel so damn lonely. You never told me that. And you want me to build a relationship with what you think I wanted from you. Let that false person, let that false identity, that false ontology be destroyed forever. Why? So that you and I can get to know each other. Knowing is the journey of eternal life. And this is why truth-telling becomes so absolutely important. Don't pray and tell God things that you think he wants to hear. Tell him what's going on in your inside world. Ask him your questions. Tell him how you're feeling about stuff. Get to know him. This is why you folks are so centered on encounter. Because you found that in encounter, there is a movement in the direction of wholeness. Thank God. So, if I am not, okay, to go back to, go back to this, right? To go back to our share screen here and back to this. What is the truth of my being? Am I snow-covered dung, like Martin Luther said? Or am I dung-covered diamond. What is the truth of my being? And when I say the truth of my being, I'm saying, what is true about me, Paul? What is true about me? What is, what is true that is true that is true? What is true about me that cannot be taken away, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be separated from me? What is true about being Paul Young? Any ideas? What is the truth of your being? Tell me what the truth of your being is. You can put it in the, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? I, hey, for some reason, I can see this. This is great. <laughs> you can see the chat. Uh, you're a temple, you're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's beautiful. What's behind that? Why are you a temple of the Holy Spirit? You're created in Trinity's image. You're created in the image of God. Okay, I like that. I think you're right. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? 
to be a child of God. Yeah. Yeah. A mirror of Christ. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Okay. So let's see if I can just blow your mind a little bit. Let's go to, let me do this. I've got to do this. I've got to stop share and then I've got to share again. This is so complicated. So here we, uh, oh, I pushed that other screen. How come it didn't go there? Share screen and I want to go to this one, which means I need to, you might be seeing something that I'm not seeing at the moment. Let's go. Oh, here we go. Here we go. That's why. There we go. Okay. Can, can you see this? Yep. Genesis one. That's good. All right. We're going to go, we're going to go down this track a little bit. Then God said, let us, and that's not the Royal. We, that is Trinity. You remember later it says, and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, right? In the Hebrew, that is, they heard the sound of, Yahweh or Elohim Yahweh walking in the in the Ruach. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Uh, and the word Adonai was inserted by Jewish rabbis because there were these three Yahwehs. They couldn't figure out what to do with three different Yahwehs. And so they added Adonai to because they didn't think people would grasp it. The Trinity is right there from, you know, let us create man, human being, man. That's the Anthropos. That's a... That's human, not that, that verse is not about maleness. So let us, let us make a human in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So God, God, Elohim, right? Plural, created God, man in, in his own image. In the image of God, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right, Romans. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. This is talking about us. And that word conformed is morphe. Now, remember the verse, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Two different words for form. Uh, conformed in that verse in Romans is a schema. You know, a schematic drawing, or it means the external presentation of something right? Schema. But be transformed, that word is metamorphe. It's used for the changing of a butterfly uh, from, a, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Did you know that, that when that chrysalis is formed by the caterpillar, that, that, that the creature inside that chrysalis absolutely dissolves? It turns to liquid. It's not that that caterpillar suddenly starts to get bones and things like that or, you know, it's not bones, but it's, you know, whatever it is. But, but it liquefies. And then out of that liquefaction, reforms or transforms the essential nature of that caterpillar into this other being. Well, but it's the same being. It's just another, it's the transformation of that which it had always been. That's metamorphe, right? So don't be conformed. Don't your external life, the way of your being, be conformed like squeezed into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your internal world, right? Metamorphic. So in this verse, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, not schema, but morphe, 
to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he predestined, those who he also called, whom he also, uh, he also justified, he glorified, right? Talking about us. So it's talking about Jesus and it's talking about us. Look at this one. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and goes on from there. Um, and, and the last sentence, and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the heavenly man. Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being metamorphosized into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. And Hebrews, who being the brightness of his glory and the expression, express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, who being the brightness of his glory, God's glory, and the express image of his person. Right? So, so let's, let's go and, and tell me, who is the image and likeness of God? Me. Yeah, everybody's, we are. But, but was there an image and likeness of God before we showed up? No. Jesus says yes. Okay. I mean, Larry McKnight says yes. Jesus is the, he, that's what those passages are about. Jesus is the image and likeness of God. When you see Jesus, you see not only the ontology of God, you see the way of God. You see the existential experience of God. Jesus is the image and likeness of God. Think about this. You have been created, emphasize the word in. You have been created in the image and likeness of God. You are created in the image and likeness of God. A lot of us, when we think about image and likeness, we think like a sculptor who is crafting a sculpture, right? Or an artist who is making a painting. And so automatically we think separation. A sculptor makes the sculpture, right? So he's making the image and likeness of God. And then the sculpture puts into that image and, you know, elements of his own character and being. But they're just sort of commodities that are in there. No, no. Do you know that if Jesus does not dwell in you, you, you lapse into non-being? Not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him. Everything that was created was created in him and now consists and is held together. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Think about this. Paul gets up at Mars Hill in Athens and he says to pagans who don't know anything about Jesus, he says, you are all God's children. Right? You are all God's children. They don't know that. They, he says, even your poets have said that you live and move and have your being in him. 
And then he says, God has given, well, get this verse. This is not a God who can be served by human hands as if this God needed anything. This is not a God who can be served by human hands as if this God needed anything. For, the, for God gives to every person life and breath and everything. Our lives are inextricably woven with Jesus or else we would not exist. We live and move and have our being in him. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Well, obviously, because he lives in you. When he died, you died. Why? Because you're in him. You can't exist apart from him. There is no separation. This is, this is why there is no separation. Not only are you created in Christ, you're held together and you consist and move and have your being in him. Paul says, I, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Huh. But the life that I now live in the flesh is no longer I alone living it, but Christ living in me. How about branches? And I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Right? Another picture. Yeah, and metaphors have their limitations. But get this. You will not meet a human being who is not indwelt by the life of Trinity. The Spirit has delivered the person of Jesus, and we are inextricably, irrevocably linked. When you kill a human being, you have killed Jesus. When you suffer, Jesus is suffering. When you visit the prisoner, you visit him. Paul, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these people. And Paul writing about his own conversion experience, when finally in the fullness of time, who I had been set apart from my mother's womb, he now looks back and says, Christ has been in me from the beginning, from the beginning of my conception, from the point of conception, bam, God has submitted to the parents by and brought life to that child even if their genetic material is damaged even if they did it through rape or coercion god has submitted to the this is a god who submits by nature if you want to know one of the other attributes of love is that it submits god wouldn't tell us to submit one to another unless god does it within the very being of the trinity and god does it in our lives we'd like to go god would you just please fix me and Heal me, and God's like, I'm moving it as fast as you're able. Because this God submits, and love is kind, and love is patient, and love is gentle. You will not meet a human being who is not indwelt by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you're going to send that person to eternal conscious torment, Jesus is going to go there. The Father is going to go there because they're in, they're in that person. The Spirit is going to go there. Right? There is no separation. And what God took as our illusion of separation, personified as death, right? Death is supposed to be separation. And God took that illusion, entered into it, destroyed it from the inside, and turned it into a doorway for freedom. This is a God who is the resurrection and the life. 
read the last two verses of Romans 8. And this, re this is referring to every single human being who has ever existed, ever been conceived. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And it has a list. Not death. Not life. Nothing in this life can separate you from the love of God. As Athanasius in 300 AD wrote, who saved the early church, this young North African black brother at 20, 21 or 22 years old, he wrote on the incarnation of the word of God. And Ath Athanasius is like, you, if, if you end up separated, what was, God, what was God being good to do, seeing that his good creation was on the road to ruin and about to lapse into non-being, right? And here we are where every human being is indwelt by the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they don't know it. This is why encounter and revelation come from the inside out. This is why a revelation of the truth of who you are allows the way of who you are to become authentic, right? If wholeness is when the way of your being matches the truth of your being, guess what? The truth of your being is Jesus. You are crafted in the image and likeness of God and your uniqueness that is partly to do with your genetic history and your family tradition and the color of your skin and the wrinkles on, but the wrinkles of, on your skin aren't your identity. The color of skin isn't your identity. Your gender, you know, your, sec your sex, your male or femaleness isn't your identity. This is, your Jew or Gentile isn't your identity. You know, your identity is in Christ. The revelation of the sons of God are when we begin to act and function, all of us, sons is a generic term in the Greek, right? Male or female. But when we begin to act and function according to the truth of our being. Let me give you a really obvious example of how this works. I told you I had this unbelievably powerful addiction to porn. That, that owned me and I hated. I hated me, I hated the addiction, I hated everything about it. And porn is, porn is a really weird thing. I mean, it's really, it's, it's a terrible crucifix. Porn is, um, it's the imagination of a real relationship without having to take the risks of a real relationship. It's just an imagination of a relationship because we have a drive toward relationship, why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are relational. You, you can't take relationship out of that. Part of, part, of the, part of the reason that Jesus struggled about, about going to the cross is he was going to enter into our delusion of aloneness. He, is, he for a period of time, is not going to be able to sense the presence of the Father. He even says to the disciples, you're going to run and flee this is at the Last Supper, right? You're going to run and uh, flee, and you're going to think that I'm alone. But I am not alone because my Father is with me. And he's saying, please let this cup pass from me because he has never known a moment of existence where he couldn't sense the presence and the love of the Father. And he's got to go into our delusion because the unassumed is the unhealed. And he's got to assume the entirety of our brokenness. And when he goes in there, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, 
becomes the cry of the authentic sense of his entering into the depths of our brokenness and he feels it. And then halfway through that song, he says, but I know you, I can't feel you, I can't sense you, but I know you. And you do not despise the affliction of the afflicted, nor will you turn your face from him. And when he cries, you'll hear. I know you. For God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. What's the word sin? Ha, martia. Ha, negation, meros, martia, origin, form, or being. Sin is not behavioral. Sin is ontological. It's missing the mark of the truth of your being, acting in a way that is not coherent with the truth of who you really are. That's sin. Yeah, it, it shows up as all these behaviors, but the point of sin is not the behavior. The behavior is because you believe a lie about the truth of who you are. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. So what happened? I haven't had an issue with porn or that kind of crappy stuff for over, that kind of dehumanizing stuff for over 30 years. Well, not quite 30 years, right? 1994 was when, the, when, I, when I blew up the world and I had to make the choice to either find a way to change or, or die or kill myself, really. And, um, but I haven't, I haven't had an issue for almost 30 years. Why? Was it because I finally got a handle on self-discipline? No, self-discipline is the work of the flesh. It's trying to find some agency from the outside to fix something that's broken on the inside. And, and, and frankly, I love therapy and I love healers and I love, you know, folks that deal with that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm for that. I don't see them as outside agencies. I see them as community of people who are made in the image and likeness of God, who, even if they don't know it, have tapped into elements of and desire to bring healing to the planet one person at a time and are willing to listen to me in all my brokenness and see if together we can find a way out and forward, out of the lostness of the darkness that has penetrated into my world because of my experiences and the lies and the curses and everything else, right? So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about independent agencies like self-discipline. Self-discipline doesn't, it won't, you know, it'll give you a handle and you'll feel better about yourself for a little while, but as soon as you fail again, you're back to thinking you're a piece of shit. And it's like, no wasn't self-discipline. It wasn't an accountability group. And I, and I love community. We need to tell the truth, you know, confess our faults, tell the truth about what we're, what our brokenness is doing in our lives, one to another, so that we can pray for each other and be healed. I'm all about that. But, but that didn't heal me. And it wasn't because I was so afraid of eternal conscious torment that I finally, you know, just like, oh, I'm, you know, I got scared straight. Wasn't that, you know what changed? I began to know the truth of my being. My inside eyes were opened. And you know what I found out? I'm pure of heart. Why am I pure of heart? Because I'm made in the image and likeness of God. And God has placed his divine nature in me. I'm pure of heart. Damn it, I'm pure of heart. And not only that, I have self-control. And suddenly, 
this person on the inside becomes real. I'm not constantly looking to the outside to get the approval and the, and the applause. I don't, I don't need to have written a book. God didn't need another book. But God loves me and he loves to play. Like Larry was saying, this is a God who loves to play. If God didn't love to play, there would be no kids. You know, but hey, we're going to start with play and hopefully you'll never end with play. I have pure, I'm pure of heart. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean that that's some form of perfectionism. As I begin to live out of the truth of my being, the way of my being naturally matches it. And I become whole. Wholeness is a journey. It's when the inside eyes are open. Thank you, Holy Spirit, to the truth of who I am. And I begin to work at dismantling the lies that I have believed about myself. And then I find that the way of my being naturally expresses the truth of my being, which is always in absolute union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For Christ, who is our life, will be revealed in us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he turns right around and the Greek says, and you and only you are the light of the world. May the ways of our being be an authentic expression of the truth of our being so that when people look at us, they not only see Paul and the uniqueness of everything he brings to the table and his history and tradition and family and, and culture and all that, but inside that they see the union with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they go like, he's kind, he's gentle, he's patient, he loves to play, he's long-suffering, he's willing to sacrifice himself for the other, he is self-giving, he is other-centered. And... And we go like, yeah, from glory to glory, not from cruddy to glory, not from glory to glorier. This is from glory, which is the essential nature of a person, place, or thing. The glory of a person from glory to glory. And our essential nature is that we are made in the image and likeness of God in full union with the truth of who God is and the, the persons of the Trinity, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Wow. So Thank good. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, I think a great deal of that, if not all of it, hopefully resonated with everybody. And um, now we got a camera that's not working, so you're going to just have to hear us for a moment. The We're going to have worship in just a second here, but just want to let you know, coming up next is going to be a panel with Nina Hayden, myself and Adina, Larry, and Paul Young. We're going to be going from 12 o'clock till 2 o'clock, so... Uh, get ready for that. It's going to be exciting. Yes. Anything else? Uh, just if you're on YouTube or Facebook, just again, um, I'm glad you got to participate in our conference for this short amount of time. But if you'd like much more, uh, it's been fantastic. You can go to kingdomtalksmedia.com. You can sign up and you'll have access to all the replays as well as all of what is to come. All right. So we'll see you at the top of the hour.